Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. That's a verse Jesus quoted on Palm Sunday, and he equated strength with praise. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. There's something powerful about praise. It aggravates your enemies and it silences them. If you're going through hard times, it's good to praise the Lord anyway. In Jamaica, they sing a little song, Hallelujah, anyhow, I never let my trouble get me down. Hallelujah. Verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, all right, I'm considering the beauties of nature. Then this question comes to mind. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. In light of all creation, why is man so honored? Verse 6, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The blessings God has bestowed upon us gives us plenty of reasons to praise him, does it not? This psalm is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. The context of Hebrews is it's, demonstrating the glories of the gospel and how it is the fulfillment of the law. The Old Testament is all fulfilled in Christ, and Hebrews does a beautiful job of displaying that. He begins in chapter 1 with the glorious revelation of Jesus. In light of glorious angels, he is more glorious and glory of heaven. He is wonderful. And then the blessings that have come our way and the need to not neglect the salvation that is given to us. And in the middle of verse 6, he begins to quote Psalms 8, quote, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, unquote. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on, For in that he put all in subjection under him, He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. So God has given us dominion, but we don't see it in its fullness yet. Right? Death is not yet under our feet. And yet prophetically, we lose the fear of death. We're going to see in a few minutes. Because death is under our feet. Yet it is still an enemy. That's still very real. We still have to deal with it. So here we are. We've been given dominion, but we don't have it in its fullness. We don't see it yet. But what do we see? Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, just like us, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death 
for everyone. And then it goes into explaining that. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, he didn't need to suffer for himself. He didn't need to be made perfect. He was already perfect. But for us, he became the perfect sacrifice through his suffering. He is the author of our faith, the finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation through his sufferings. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, his blood has cleansed us, his choices to obey the will of God's almighty plan have set us apart, have purified us. So both he, Jesus, who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that's us. So you got he, the sanctifier, us, the being sanctified. Notice being, our being, it's not done yet. Sanctification is a, is, sounds like a really complicated word. It's a very simple word. It means to set apart for a special purpose. How many have China at home? All right. If a plumber comes to work at your house and asks you, could he have a cup of coffee, are you going to serve him your China? No, that has been set apart. It's been set apart for special occasions, right? Um, let's say you have two cars. One's really fancy and one's just old rattle-trap truck. And if that plumber asks, can he go to the store to buy some parts because his company left him there to go take care of something else. Now, he's a plumber, right? Not putting down plumbers. I'm thankful for it. How many are thankful for plumbers? Amen. Which vehicle are you going to let him use? His car isn't sanctified. But those of you that have sanctified your car for special purposes, he's going to use the truck. Right? And if the fancy car is all you have, you're going to give him some cardboard or a rug or something to put on your seats so that vehicle can continue to be sanctified. So how many understand the meaning of sanctification? So we are being sanctified. It's not done yet. We're set apart. It is, but yet it's being played out. We're growing in Christ. As believers, we've been born again. That is, spiritually, we've been made alive. So, being threefold beings, spirit, soul, or mind, and body, our spirits have been reborn. Can we say reborn? Our bodies, not so much. They're gonna, you can exercise a lot and rejuvenate, and we're, you know, your heart's going to beat so many times a minute and wear it out and die early. Sometimes it can happen. There's balance in everything, okay? So um, the bodies one day are going to be replaced at the glorious resurrection. Can we say replaced? So our minds are being renewed. Can we say renewed? This is the process of being set apart. We are being sanctified. So he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. He's in a relationship with us. For which reason, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Now there he is, God manifest in the flesh, the Word made human. Perfect. Willing to be our brother. 
sanctifying us, working with us. He's not ashamed of us. Does anybody have a weird uncle? Are you eager to say, yeah, that one's mine? My children have an aunt that bothers them. (laughs) The Lord's not ashamed of us. Saying, verse 12, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. So here's prophetically him owning up to us, verses from the Old Testament. That verse is about Jesus saying we're his brothers and him singing praise to the Father in in our midst. The context of that verse is just blew my mind when I saw it this week is Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a prophecy about Jesus on the cross, but it's told in the first person. It's like the prophet in his vision is experiencing it. My ribs are staring out on me. Dogs are gnashing at me. People are are yelling at me. Ugly things are happening to me. I'm suffering. I'm a bloody mess. He's lamenting his pain. This is what Jesus was doing for us on the cross in order to sanctify us. Why did he do it? So that one day, in the midst of the congregation, he could sing praise with us. I don't understand it, but when we worship God, there is a presence of God in our midst. Right? He is God and man, so he's able to sing with us through his omnipresence, through the Holy Spirit. He's able to sing with us to the Father, and he's able to sing from the Father to, as a Father to us. I, I imagine, you know, Lord, you have me, you have my heart. Him singing it to us, people, you have my heart. I gave my life for you on the cross. We're talking about a relationship with Almighty God through the humility of Jesus. Now, Psalm 22 is too good to not just pass up a biblical principle that I think has been lost in modern American Christianity. That's the principle of lamenting, lamentation, going to God with your problems and being brutally honest about them. God, my life sucks and I need help. Now, religious folks might try to shut you down. Oh, you better not complain. Don't ever ask God why. It's almost a superstition, and yet they think they're being full of faith by doing it. Don't, don't. Uh... I know there's a problem with complaining, being a whiner, but I'm telling you, when things are tough, it's all right to be honest with Almighty God. David, several places in the Psalms, laments. Why do the wicked prosper? Why are things going hard for me and things are going well for them? But here's the power of lamenting. You're being brutally honest with God, desperate for answers. And if that is your purpose and being honest with Him, hungry for His help, He will bring revelation. So while David's lamenting the wicked prospering, then he gets a revelation. Then I remember their end. I'm going to heaven, and they're not. (laughs) Job lamented a lot. 
maybe too much towards the latter part of his book, but at the first part, he's really desperately searching for answers. My breath is abhorrent. Children run from me. My wife won't have anything to do with me. This is that. This is wrong. That's wrong. Then suddenly he gets a revelation and he says, I wish these next words were written somewhere where they couldn't be erased. I know my Redeemer lives. And in my flesh, I shall see God. That was like a sword to fight discouragement with, isn't it? That's what we need from the Lord. When you're going through hard times, lament to Him. Seek His face for His strength. He will give you a word that you can hold to in spite of your circumstances. But if you try to skip the process of being honest with God where you're at, I'm getting so far ahead of myself, it's ridiculous in the sermon, you're going to rip yourself off. You'll be claiming somebody else's promise when God has one unique for you. So be honest with Him where you're at. If you're mad at Him, tell Him. He can handle it. He's your loving Father. And He'll give you a word. So here we are in Psalm 22. Things are bad. My bones are breaking. My, my bones are staring. They're not, he didn't have any broken bones on the cross. My bones are staring. I'm naked. I'm getting ripped apart here. I'm being wounded. I'm being shredded. I'm being mocked. People are, you know, hurting me with their words. And then in that point of honesty in the prophecy, here comes a revelation. I will declare your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. What is that? I'm going to rise from the dead and this is going to be a reason to celebrate. What are you facing today? Get honest with God about it. Embrace the pain. Say, I need some help. Don't say, I don't have a code. You got a cold? Say, God, I got a cold. I need some healing here. All right, back to the text. Inasmuch then, verse 14, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to to bondage. Did you know the fear of death is a bondage that God can break you free of? What are you afraid of? Exiting the temporal into the eternal? Exiting the mortal into the immortal? Exiting this chapter into a wonderful world? If I die, don't weep for me. Rejoice. Don't say, oh, he was too young. No, just rejoice. Say, he never wanted to live in a nursing home anyway. By the way, did you know cruise ships are cheaper than nursing homes? Hmm. Laundry is an issue. How can we do this? Fear of death. What is your phobia? A lot of people have phobia and hang-ups and bondages and fears. If you chase a lot of fears to their worst possible conclusion, it generally leads to death, right? My grandma is deathly afraid of little critters. If you threw a rubber snake at her, she would go nuts like it was a real one. Just afraid of it. And it was fear of death. And it was evidenced verbally. Late at night, they were staying in my family. My parents had bought a house out in the country. We hadn't been there too long. Winter time was coming. It's getting cold, and the field mice are coming over. And it's at night, and we could hear some critters running in the attic. 
and we can hear my grandma. Oh, did you hear that, Thomas? They have mice. Oh, they could bite us. We could all die. She went from scratching to death. Well, take away the fear of death, and it disarms the devil. He taunts us through the fear of death. All our lifetime, we're subject to bondage. Christ has released us from that if we'll grow in that and allow him to sanctify us in that. Remember, we are being sanctified. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed or the children of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, that's a word that means full payment, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid or help those who are tempted. What are you tempted with today? Discouragement? He knows what that feels like. You feel betrayed? You're in good company. You feel abandoned? All alone? He knows what that's like. And he's able to help us because he knows. In the Old Testament, numerous places, in fact, there's a couple of Psalms where it just says over and over and over again, the Lord's mercy endures forever. The Lord's mercy endures forever. The Lord's mercy endures forever. So the Lord's mercy is eternal, right? It endures forever. And yet, in all things, verse 17, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful. He's already merciful and faithful just by virtue of his perfection. But now by empathy, he knew by his intelligence what we were struggling with. But now he knows by experience, having become one of us, Tell your neighbor, Jesus is your brother. And respond, and he's not ashamed of you. Speaking to you you today, I am speaking today on the subject, you are human. You are human. Steve Lunger, in his blog entitled, What Does It Mean to Be Fully Human? He wrote, Being fully human does not mean to be a humanist or to realize our greatest human potential or how to increase the productivity of self-discovery and selfish actualization. Being fully human means being and experiencing what God intended for us as humanity, as fully and as freely as possible albeit in the midst of fallenness that has been brought on by sin. To be fully human, we must recognize we are no more and no less than human. We are not subhuman, we are not superhuman, we're not God, and we're not animals. We're not the descendant of apes. Your uncle may have swung by his neck, but he never swung by his tail. It is good for animals to be seen as animals and God to be seen as God and human beings to be seen as human beings. Beings. Though we possess many amazing capabilities, capabilities as human beings, we are utterly incapable of determining ultimate reality by human means. This is because we are not ultimate, only God is. 
as the ultimate reality and absolute uncaused cause of all that is, God establishes and defines reality. As such, he is the ultimate explainer and interpreter of reality. So apart from his disclosure or revelation, we could never come to know the meaning of our existence and the significance of our lives. Consequently, we can never be fully human without his help. For being fully human means to be and experience what God intended. You are human. Tell your neighbor you're not God. We are human. I think religion, through its various forms, man-made religion, good religion is to visit the order, the, the widows and orders in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, the Bible says. Pure religion is that. A man-made religion causes us to try to live more than what we are or less than what we are. You get the greasy grace and the hyper-legalism. Uh, we are who we are, made for a relationship with our brother who is sanctifying us and using the processes of this relationship. It, it enables us to be fully what he called us to be. So I, my prayer today is that this word totally expels self-hatred from your life and self-centeredness from your life and a Christ love that's centered on him, realizing that's our purpose. Can we pray? Lord, I pray that you speak to us in such a way from your word that we leave here knowing more about you in light of how you've made us. In Jesus' name, amen. You are human. Being a human is a blessing. At least it started out that way. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. There's only two genders. God made them. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So having babies is his will. Oh, the world's just too wicked and uh, we shouldn't bring babies in the world. That's just fear of death talking. Well, the Lord's going to come back anyway. Well, they would said that a hundred years ago too. Christianity will die out if we don't have babies. Have dominion. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over everything that creeps. We read earlier from Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? I'm just I'm blown away when I look at the beauties of nature. God, you love us. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And yet now we don't see everything under his feet, do we? But we see Jesus. Man is born blessed. But there came a fall. Being a human is a curse. Death is part of our experience. Pain is part of our experience. When the first people sinned, 
this curse was given. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So Christ came, wore a crown of thorns, died an unjust death, sweat as it were great drops of blood, and returned to the dust for three days for us so that he might be a faithful, merciful high priest who is our brother. Talk about nepotism. we got it going on. Jesus became fully human, which is awesome. We read this. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every one. Jesus died for you. Say that. Jesus died for me. Say, for me, Jesus died. Your brother died for you. And he became cursed for you. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The curse of the law is spelled out in Deuteronomy 28. It's horrible. He redeemed us from that by taking on one of the curses, which is there in chapter 21 of Deuteronomy. Anyone who hangs on a tree is under the curse of God. Christ hung on a tree to take the curse on so that we could be redeemed from the curses of the law. What is the ultimate curse of the law? Death. The law shows that we can't walk in perfection, that we need help, that we are guilty. We should die. Christ came and died. He became cursed for us. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. He did this for us. He partook of the human experience. To be Almighty God and to step into humanity, the only thing I can think of that would kind of compare, but it's still a distortion of reality, is for one of us to become a cockroach, to establish a relationship with cockroaches and humanity. That's what Jesus did. But hallelujah, through his sacrifice, the fear of death has been taken away, and one day death will be under our feet. His resurrection is the first fruit. It's the assurance of our own. That's why a Christian funeral is totally different, total different feeling in the room from those that don't know the Lord. Jesus became cursed for us. And humans can now, as a result of his being cursed, can now be blessed. You can be blessed through what he did. Galatians 3.14, verse 13 said that he became a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Verse 14 
concludes that statement that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is this blessing of Abraham? It is not the promises in Deuteronomy 28. The promises in Deuteronomy 28 are based on perfect obedience. They're promises predicated on works. Abraham was justified by faith. And he lived centuries before the law. So we're skipping Moses, connecting to Abraham as his children, who was taken out to the skies and shown the stars and said, your, your, your descendants will be as innumerable as these stars. And in your seed, singular, all the world will be blessed. The nations in one place, families in another. In your seed, the world's going to be blessed. What is that seed? What is the ultimate blessing of Abraham? Jesus Christ, our brother. If he's the son of Abraham, we're the children of Abraham. See, we're in the same family. As a result, we can now get help. You ever get bullied at school? And you say, hey, I got a big brother. You can get help, can't you? I could never do that. I was the big brother. I was a bully, I guess. We read earlier, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. His being tempted, he's now able to help us in ways that it just had to happen. He wasn't our brother until he did this for us. We do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tense but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now we can get help. It's important to access that help. Don't try to live independently of that help. God wants us to come to him for help. You know, if you have a child that's in need of help and you have the resources to help that child, it would break your heart if the child wouldn't come to you for help. Right? What is God doing? He's sanctifying us. He's growing us spiritually through a relationship with us. Remember before the fall, at the fall, right after the fall, God showed up and they hid from him. Their fellowship with him was broken because of sin. Now he's rebuilding fellowship with him. So my needs aren't to drive me from the Lord, no matter what they are. If they're needs I caused or somebody else caused, they're to draw me closer to him. Don't run from him, run to him. So this help thing is building a relationship with the Lord. Why do I have so many needs? Well, I don't know. The Lord wants you really bad. We can now get help, and we can now acknowledge weakness. It's now safe to acknowledge our weakness. We didn't know that before. Remember the man said, the woman you gave me, she tempted me to sin, and I did. And the woman said, the devil made me do it. Now we can say, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I have screwed up. Help. I'm naked here. Forget our ridiculous fig leaves. Second. Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, ends with these words, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, 
in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How is that possible? Because when I'm weak, I'm dependent on Him the most. When I'm strong, I can easily drift back into that that old way of living. You know, our, not, our minds are being renewed, right? Uh, history was divided by the life of Christ. And to this day, they talk about B.C., before Christ, and A.D., which means the reign of Christ, ultimately. So before you entered into the reign of Christ, you had a way of doing things, doing things your own way. These little angels that we dedicated today, it won't be long before their self-centeredness will show up. Doing things their way. Mine is one of the first words they learn, and no is another word they learn. After dad, dad, mama, of course. Papa and Gigi. But, but now we, we are to... It's like we have a B.C. body and an A.D. spirit and a mind that is B.C. that is being renewed into A.D., entering into the reign of Christ. Body's going to be replaced, our spirit's been reborn, and our mind's being renewed. And so, if you don't acknowledge your weakness, you're not going to run to Him for help. Right? And it's my fear that our Christian mentality shortcuts. We want things our way and we want it now. We want it quick. And so books at the Christian bookstore, you know, how to get God to do what you want Him to do and how to get what you want out of life and how to have your best life ever or whatever. Uh, it could distract us from this relationship the Lord is wanting to build with us by helping us where we need to help Him. My best life now is only available as I relate to Him and stay dependent upon Him. But if I get so well and so strong and go about my own way, that's not good. very popular author wrote a book that was also popular. And in that book, he gave a prophecy that I don't think is true. We need to judge it. It's not true. The prophecy supposedly was the Lord said, I am done working with man. I'm done. Y'all take my word and make the world a better place. We're co-laborers with Christ. If he's done, we're done. (laughs) We run to him when we need help. Run boldly to the throne of grace that you may find help in time of need. We're human. We're not superhuman. So to be fully human, we realize we must be fully dependent upon the Lord. When we're raising these little ones in him, we'll be on our knees many times. Lord, I need some wisdom here. We can now embrace honesty. James 5 says, confess your trespasses to one another. You know, church ought to be a safe place where you can find somebody to confess your weaknesses. You know, I'm mad as a wet hen. (laughs) I guess hens, hens aren't like ducks. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another. Sometimes church is a place where you confess your weaknesses or your struggles or your angers or your disappointments and you get rebuked for it. Not safe. Now, no, we don't need to just be chronic whiners, but I'm telling you, when things are tough, they're tough, and you ought to be able to share it with somebody. And then pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
Could it not be a blockage in our healing is a religious spirit that does not allow us to be honest with each other? I don't have a cold. You do have one. Stop breathing on me. (laughs) The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Ben Franklin knew it. It's not in the Bible, but I believe it's true. Honesty is the best policy. It is. Now, there are times when you have the right to remain silent (laughs) or change the subject. So, move on from there. Does my boot make these jeans look big? (laughs) Humans can now embrace honesty. We're talking about being free. Lord, I'm weak. I need some help. It's not, I can do it. I can do it. You remember that? The choo-choo train, I think I can, I think I can, I can do it. No, we can't do it. We need His help. We were made for relationship with humans. Now here is where I'm the most convicted through this, is there are things sometimes that make us not want to fellowship with somebody. It has nothing to do with sin. It's just humanity. We need to embrace people's humanity just like they are. There were some believers here yesterday, and we have people coming up here all the time with needs, and we do our best to, to help. But sometimes you get a thing called compassion. Um, I'm confessing my trespasses. You, you get on compassion overload. I mean, if I hear one more disastrous story that I don't know whether or not it's true, uh, I'm going to gag. Because, you know, there is a certain amount of fraud going on out there. And this one-eyed guy showed up. Uh, supposedly from Arizona, uh, supposedly had spent the night in jail for hitchhiking. I didn't know hitchhiking was against the law. But he got treated bad in Granbury, if that's true. But, you know, rather than interrogating him and questioning him and all that, we accepted his story at face value and took him out to eat and had some fellowship and just loved on the poor guy while he waited for somebody in the Metroplex that was going to come and get him. And eventually we had to leave him. But, but we, we made a friend. We just enjoyed him. And I knew I was applying my, my sermon. I'm embracing a guy's humanity. I wouldn't have done it otherwise had the word not convicted me. <laughs> what is the second great command? To love your neighbors yourself. And Christ raised the level of that. Said, love one another as I have loved you. Amen. My prayer is that we live so fully human that it just comes naturally to be loving to others. We're not working at, oh, i got to be more loving, got to be more. No, it just happens. There's another human. Awesome. Like a brother, long-lost brother. And, of course, you're made for a relationship with God. The great command is love him with everything that's in us. How many are glad to be humans? Created in the image of God according to his likeness. We were created that. But the temptation, the original sin, was to doubt that. It wasn't just that they were hungry to eat some fruit that they hadn't had before. The lie was, God doesn't want you to eat of it, not because you'll die, but because you'll be like him. He's holding out on you. Newsflash, they were already like him. So they were tempted to think that they were less than what they were and became less than what they were by doing what they did to become what they weren't, what they thought they weren't, that they already were. Please don't have me repeat that. 
The advertising world, if you're in the advertising business, God bless you, great job, successful. But be aware, there's a certain power in advertising to create discontent in people. Aren't you tired of your old phone? Don't you want a, a watch that talks to you? Don't you want to do your emails with your wedding ring? And you know, Don't you want to have a car that can park itself? Don't you want first-class seats? Don't you, you know what I mean, to make you discontent? And I think Paul, being fully human, learned how to be content in every state. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, meant more than I can win every game I play. You read the context of that. I was hungry, I was shipwrecked, I was this, I was that, I was beaten, left for dead, blah, 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 blah. I can do all things. Everything, good and bad, through Christ who strengthens me. So, in conclusion, what are you going through today? What mess are you shoveling? You know, it's hard to shovel mess without getting, on, getting it on you. But keep in mind, it's not you, it's mess you're shoveling. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, which means the power is not in the phrase saying it over and over again. The power is in allowing Christ to be your strength, recognizing he, you're not your own strength. He is your strength. Amen. Lord, I pray that your word would bear fruit in our lives, that we would be all that you made us to be. Nothing more, nothing less, God. We want to live in the real world as real believers, having a real faith that finds real answers in you. I pray, Lord, for those of us that have been somewhat at time independent of you. Sometimes when we're going through hard times, we try to do it on our own. And sometimes when we're going through great times, we try to do it on our own. Help us, Lord, to all be dependent on you more than ever before and to see one another as fellow brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ and ourselves. In Jesus' name, we ask, Lord, for your blessings upon us, upon our families upon our congregation, upon our city, upon our nation, upon our world. Lord, in the midst of all the conflict that's happening in America, help us to keep our eyes on you and to stay in the real world and not get caught up in some petty things. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us to be fully human, free to do what you call us to be as your ambassadors. In Jesus' name. Stand. I'd like for us to end the service by singing this little chorus. Oh, to be like you. Oh, to be like you.